want to go to there. Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, nice. 30 Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, get Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Outsides TV podcast. This is Kate Kulzik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, how's it going? Not too bad. Didn't we decide you were going to start answering this question? Oh. You're sick. You're sick, and I'm worried I'm going to get what you've got over Skype. Yes, I am sick. This is me trying to sound normal. This is what I actually sound like right now. Ah, God. Like <laughs> so gone. we're going we're gonna to go with the up and happy voice and see how long that lasts. I have my orange yeah, juice. Usually I advocate being honest, but no, and, keep doing that. <laughs> my water and my cough drops and we'll see how this goes. Oh, it's that wonderful, delightful time of year when the, the, the bugs get passed around the Petri dish of elementary school and then get sent to the rest of us. On a happier topic, let's, let's get into our some of our feedback for this week. We heard from a bunch of you guys, email, Facebook, Twitter, all of that good stuff. We heard from Keith, who loves the Orange is the New Black theme, and he was not the only one to tell us that. Uh, Julius enjoyed the Homeland review transition last week between us. We, we will be talking about Homeland a little bit more later in the show. Hopefully it'll be similarly entertaining for you as well. Talked talk uh, Broadchurch with Zach. We're going to talk about that later in the show. <laughs> talked some STSFUKDDB with Ken. Also, we'll be talking about that later in the show. And Kyle and I talked about the UK trifecta of premieres, or not just premieres, but of episodes this week, because... NTSF and Parks and Rec and Elementary all had episodes where they went to the UK and filmed in the UK as well. So there was a fun little Thursday UK-a-thon. We'll be talking about most of those shows. And, and I enjoy that both NTSF and Parks and Rec, I assume they were filming there because of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. So they were probably filming at similar times, you know, I would assume. But that's just right. kind of fun. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, we heard from uh, Pratyush, and I've probably said your name wrong, and I apologize for for butchering it, uh, who wants to know, is there a TV episode logging site, sort of like Letterboxd? I couldn't think of one. Do you know? Is that what Get Glue is? I don't get what Get Glue is. I don't care about stickers, so I haven't been inspired to figure it out. But is can you think of a site kind of like Letterboxd for TV? I don't. Someone should get on that, though, if there isn't one. Because that just it seems like, of course, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we heard from, if you know of one, by the way, please let us know and we'll forward that on to the lis the listener who has a name I just butchered. Um, but uh, hopefully we'll be able to come up with something for you. Let's see, we heard from Carl. Is there any way to temper Breaking Bad finale expectations? And no, I didn't respond to that to you, Carl, because I couldn't think of a way. Uh, well, I mean, the best way is just to remember that most finales aren't very good. Well, yeah, there's that, but that's that's like too depressing. I figured that would take it too far down. Yeah, well, there's, you can't lower expectations too much. It's always <laughs> helpful. I suppose. Uh, let's see. I did an informal Twitter poll of, of the listenership asking how many people had seen Cowboy Bebop, which will be a, an upcoming DVD shelf, and I heard from three people. So Bill, Matt, and Manuel have seen Cowboy Bebop, and apparently... 
no one else has, or they weren't on Twitter at that time. If you have seen Cowboy Bebop, I am very curious, like, what percentage of our, I assume, if you're listening to this, you're a TV geek and or a fan. So I'm curious, you know, how much of an overlap there is between our listenership and people who have seen, or, you know, not necessarily all of, but, like, know what Cowboy Bebop is and have seen some of it. So fill me in. Any predictions? Uh, uh Probably a few more, I would imagine. Fingers I've always crossed. thought of it as being a fairly common thing. We'll see. Let's see. Tim uh, said, said his uh, TV apocalypse priorities and, quote, all my training has led to this. I know exactly how you felt, Tim. Uh, I felt uh, quite similarly as well. And I, of course, talked Breaking Bad with Kyle, Ken, and Keith and many other people. Um, also, Paul, Glenn and his wife, Stanley, Mario, Mandy, Dan, Mary Jo, Jess, and Kyle are all in with me for the Amazing Race Pool. Simon! You are not in for the Amazing Race pool. Yeah, well, I didn't want to make a guess until I'd seen the bloody premiere. I don't get how you guys do it. You could have signed up. I'm. I don't want to sign up until I've got guesses, man. Okay, but no clown points. Okay, none of this. I would have voted for the clowns, and then they got eliminated, and then I would have had next. Well, no. there weren't any clowns this year, so it didn't matter. There are theater performers, but there are not clowns. No, they are very close, though. We'll get there. Also, <laughs> Mandy, Jess, and Paul still need to choose their overall picks. I just figured I'd mention that. So just don't don't forget there's the weekly picks, but there's also the overall pick, and you're going to want to get that in uh, quickly. And you could, of course, change that whenever you would like, but it doesn't hurt to get one in for now. And lastly, we got an email from Carl as well. Many wonderful things in the email, and uh, thank you, as ever, Carl, for emailing. I'm going to specifically read out his uh, section about... He had a series of questions for us um, that I've sort of paraphrased. One, is he a bad person for liking Hell on Wheels? It's a flawed show, but it's kind of funny how overlooked it is. Nobody talks about it. We do review Hell on Wheels at the website. Tressa covers it for us. And so I'm like sort of familiar with what's going on based on the coverage of the website, but I haven't seen any of it since the premiere, which the pilot, which I wasn't a big fan of. Have you checked in on Helen Wheels at all? No, no. But you're, not. you're not a bad person for liking Helen Wheels, Carl. No. There's no such thing as being a bad person for liking stuff with rare exceptions. <laughs> Well, apparently Helen Wills is not one of Simon's exceptions. Also, number two, uh, FYI, apparently Haven is a guilty pleasure B-movie show. I should know that going in. Thank you. I appreciate that caveat. Uh, number three, thanks for the placeholder post for the Breaking Bad finale. If you guys want to talk more Breaking Bad, and of course, we will we will not have our Breaking Bad discussion as part of this episode of the podcast. We will be putting out a separate uh, the DVD shelf, DVD shelf for that by itself later today so it will be it will be out it'll be posted at roughly the same time but we figured it's going to be a long one we might as well give it its own audio file and uh, let those who are uninterested just completely skip it um so so yeah there's also of course your review up at sound on site and my recap so there's plenty of places to talk breaking bad at sound on site and we hope to hear from more of you i was expecting more back and forth after the finale but there was only a couple comments it really felt like discussion peaked with Ozymandias, and then mm -hmm. after that, everyone was just kind of sitting back. It was like, yep, play out. <laughs> all the words that could be said have been said. Yep, pretty much. And then the final thing, Carl says he loves Regina Spector. Uh, he said, I had never heard her before 500 Days of Summer, and she has songs that overlay some of the key sequences in that film, and I really love that movie. The Orange is the New so Black song is a little too long, but it always sets the stage nicely for me. I even enjoyed hearing it on the podcast. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed hearing it on the podcast. Um, I'm good about to just, like, anger a subset of our audience, because I don't like 500 Days of Summer. I don't have any particular issue with 500 Days of Summer. It's 
doesn't strike me as particularly offensive, but it doesn't, I'm not one of those people for whom it's like a weird new romantic comedy touchstone or something. That seems, there seems to be a lot of those people. There are. And, and there's some really fun things about it. And I'm a big Joseph Gordon-Levitt fan. If you're not going to be offended by a, a movie about porn addiction, go, go see Don John. It's a, it's a lot of fun. Just know what it's about and know you're going to see some stuff. But it, it, it's a fun movie. Uh, but, but for me, 500 Days of Summer, I mean, any of those Manic Pixie Dream Girl movies, if you don't like the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, and I really disliked that character of Summer, I kind of wanted to reach into the movie and throttle her for being terrible. <laughs> uh, it's very, very hard to buy into the movie. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I can't take any of those characters played by Zoe Deschanel seriously ever since I saw David Gordon Green's All the Real Girls, which is one of the first films she was in. And she also has a, like kind of that sort of character, except she's an actual person. Mm -hmm. um, and it's before anyone knew who she was. And so ever since then, that shtick has been quite tired for me, probably sooner than it was for a lot of other people. So yeah, watch that instead, people. I like or, Elf. Or also. You like Elf? There you go. Yeah, That's she's good in Elf. <laughs> yeah. Yes. No. I mean, and obviously, we talk about New Girl every week. We, I like New Girl. I, I like Zoe Deschanel. Just that character was like a perfect storm of annoyance for me. So sorry. I, so I'm still not on the Regina Spector bus, but maybe someday down the line, I'll hear a new song by her and it'll explode my brain with awesome so i always leave the door open for for something like that who knows but i've been blathering on too long about 500 days of summer should mention at sound on site we're finishing up finale this month there's been some behind the scenes shuffling such that uh so several of our finale posts are, are have been delayed but they are going to be coming out over the next few days there are another five or six finales to go up um and then it it's i believe it's horror month there's going to be like a different theme every day i know that one of the days will be the tv and horror and we have something planned special for the televerse for that day um but you should if, you, if you're interested in horror you know keep your eyes peeled on sound and sight over the next month as well as of course we have what is the official like what's the scientific term for how many reviews for television we have at this point um well the clean version of the scientific term is a cluster hoot yes that seems about appropriate yes it's a it lot is, it is a a significant number I, th I believe we had eight reviews go up or recaps go up in the past 24 hours for when we were recording for the tv apocalypse and that was one day so we're covering a lot of stuff at sound outside tv i'm actually really proud of the way the site has grown so you should check it out if you listen to the podcast you know, you might not be interested in all the shows we cover, but there's probably one or two that you would be. Yes. So uh, let's get into the rest of the TV talk here, and we're going to take a quick break and come back with the comedies. comedies this week we have 
way too many shows to list up top. So we're going to start off by sort of doing a, a roundtable, quick just breeze past several of the returning comedies this week, the, the shows that did not have a premiere, and then we'll talk about several of the pilots and premieres from this past week. So first, regular episode roundup, a New Girl, Nerd, Mindy Project, The Other Dr. L, Always Sunny, Mac and Dennis by a Timeshare, The League, Raffi and Dirty Randy, Key and Peel, and NTSF SDSUV, UKO'd. So, Go. I love that for anyone who doesn't watch it, that last bit was just a series of letters. Um, <laughs> the uh, Okay, so first up, New Girl. All I have to say about this is Winston and the cat. I forget the cat's name. Just, just go and have your own show now, please. I know I said Winston could have his own show. The cat can come. I want to say like Snowball? Something like that? I don't know. Of course, that's but, Lisa's cat, so I might just have yes, that. Yes, but the, the, the cat has staying power for sure. <laughs> cat is a star well and it, it's the schmidt and uh, winston show as i recall right so there's a whole you know fun little element there too yeah but now that we got the cat i don't know if i need schmidt oh interesting okay intriguing uh mindy project i i just have to mention am i the only person who was upset by the quasi-sexual assault we saw in this episode uh so so dr al who's played by james franco and mindy have a shots off mindy destroys him and uh and she's obviously given the comical number of shots they turned over she must be plastered as well but he's you know he's falling down you know singing all that kind of thing she carries him back to his apartment can't find his keys and so leaves him propped up on his door and then before she leaves she like pauses and then bends down and kisses him and then he's like no uh, stop he starts calling she's like and then she runs away guys that's sexual assault. <laughs> and if you're sober enough to know you need to get your drunk friend home, and I wouldn't normally kiss this person or do something that they would consider inappropriate, but they totally won't remember it, so it's okay. No! No! <laughs> How is nobody else upset about this? People were freaking out that she made a reference to buying a gun last week, but nobody cares about this. Yeah, I didn't see the episode because I don't follow Mindy, but it does sound uh, out there. Well, especially that the if you hadn't mentioned him saying no, uh, that seems like a bit of a deal breaker. Well, and it's played for comedy because of course he doesn't know what's going on. And then she kisses him, and and then he's like, "No, please!" And it's funny, and she's like, "Shh!" shh and she like backs away, and it's it's supposed to be funny, and that's that's not funny, guys. What if it's a guy grabbing a girl's boob or feeling her up? She's passed out. She doesn't know. That's not okay. Anyways, I, that was a very odd moment for me in the middle of my otherwise very normal Fox comedy viewing that Tuesday. Let's move on to Always Sunny. Right. I uh, thought this was pretty standard issue, Sunny, to be honest. Uh, I mean, it did have a five solid minutes of a nearly naked Danny DeVito stuck on a playground coil, so that was pretty special. Other than that, uh, I'm having a really hard time retaining information from this episode so that's probably not a great sign yeah i thought it was fun and uh and you know along with much of the season i think it's been another strong season for them more in line with the fat back i like just his hawaiian shirt was clearly 
something he bought as Fat Mac. <laughs> so it was like several sizes too big. I enjoyed that little touch. I hadn't even registered that, but yes, that makes perfect sense. And and I also liked the um the the the, the little visual callback gag to the fact that they clearly only use one tape to record everything on. Yeah, yeah. There were some nice things in there, but on the whole, it wasn't as memorable as some of their other episodes have been. But still very solid. Um, the, the league, Raffi and Dirty Randy, as one might guess by that episode title, this was 100, this was like 95% just Raffi and Dirty Randy, and it was terrible. It was really, it seemed like maybe they had, like, if anybody's seen the Ask a Ninja review about Pirates of the Caribbean 3, and they talk, the way that they talk about, I think it's 3, it might be 2, they talk about the, the process which led to the script, that they used. That's kind of how I feel about the script for this one. They might have had one at one point, but then they just decided that these two people are very, very funny. And I really enjoyed Jason Matsukis on Enlightened, which I just caught up with. I just finished. He was a delight on that show. So much fun. Really enjoyed the performance. And then putting him and Seth Rogen here, it just, no. The best thing about it is that the end, Raffi's dead, and I hope they don't undo it. Oh, I didn't know that part. Yay. He's, he's dead a year in the future, but. Oh. Yeah, but this is the league that could easily not happen or, you know, be undone or who knows. Some sort of ruse. Some sort of ruse. Uh, so that's why I don't feel bad about spoiling that. Uh, but yeah, this was a, just a really bad episode. I, I, It seemed like the, the regular cast were off busy doing all their other projects. And so they needed a filler episode and this is what they came up with. And it, I was very disappointed in them. Uh, Key and mm. Peele, on the other hand, had opera. It did. Uh, another solid Key and Peele outing, once again, about half and half goodness. Half. Yeah. But yes, as soon as I heard the opera, I was like, yeah, Kate's Kate's in the bag on this one. <laughs> totally. Well, and I love that it's Pagliacci, which is perfect for a, a birthday party because it's, you know, a clown, right? It's the Pagliacci is the... the... I like how you say right, like I, like I know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, it's it's one of the most famous arias for tenors ever, uh, but it's one of the most famous arias in the entire canon of opera, and it's about, you know, it, it's the main character is a clown in a Commedia dell'arte um, troupe, and he's being cheated on by his wife. It's a whole thing. Sad clown, right? It's, that's the opera, basically, uh, in a two sentences and i expect to hear from our buddies over the opera podcast giving me a hard time about that but just the, the notion of having pagliacci which is you know about a clown at a birthday party was a nice little extra touch and i liked the specific version they used so like i'm getting extra levels of music geek out of that song choice that i'm sure they probably didn't even intend they might not have intended i shouldn't assume they didn't but uh even besides that sketch i really i laughed at the opening did you laugh at the opening I did not see that coming. I was thinking like Alien. Yeah, that was a perfect example of like one of the one of their sketches that's like admirably committed, if not actually funny. Like I didn't laugh, but I was like, well, that didn't go where I was expecting. Good job, boys. <laughs> but yeah, like we said, like we said in our preview of the season, so glad to have Keen Peel back, and I look forward to the first episode I have not seen of the season this week. Yes, very much so. Our final roundup here is NTSF SDSUV UKO'd. <laughs> And remind us what it was actually called this week. The 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 real title, I think we can agree, it was STSF UK DDB, so Socialist Strike Force UK or United Kingdom Double Decker Bus. And uh, yeah, that's just beautiful. This this. Do you want to list off some of the cast here? Guest cast. Right. So I'm annoyed that I didn't get to see this episode because apparently it included Peter Serafinowicz, Colin Salmon, Julian Barrett of the Mighty Boosh, and other places. Uh, Anthony Head, uh, or Stuart Head, if you prefer, 
Jerry Minor, uh, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, yeah, like all the Stacked. British people. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it was a lot of fun. They clearly filmed it on location, and they took they took advantage of that, and just all the 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 parody of Downton Abbey and the parody of Oliver seeing Serafinowitz playing basically Fagin here, and then playing a different kind of uh st- car- stereotypical British character on Parks and Rec, which we'll get to later. Uh, it was just a particular delight going back and forth between those two, and uh, yeah, I, I was so glad. I hope they do something like this in the future. I, w- I would be interested in the 30-minute two-part children's episode, but I think I'm even more interested because it seems like somehow NTSF is even zanier than children's. I, th- I think like having the rare maybe once per season 30-minute episode is a delight, and I-, I hope it happens again. Yeah, well, I mean, NTSF has the action beats, which gives it a different kind of zaniness, but yeah. I don't know. Children's has gone on, on some pretty strange limbs. And although I, I'm a little bit annoyed that that Children's hasn't done anything formally out there, like the three-act play they did last season, like I'm, <laughs> I'm waiting for something like that because that was just awesome. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our comedy roundup. Now let's go into the premieres. And we're going to start with uh, your thoughts on the Trophy Wife and Michael J. Fox show pilots. Okay, um, Trophy Wife was definitely, I think, the best of the new comedy pilots. Okay. Uh, that's not saying a lot. Over Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I, I, I think so. I chuckled more, actually, at Trophy okay. Wife than I did at Brooklyn Nine-Nine. So it wins on humor alone. I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine probably has more room to grow. Um, but I definitely did like a lot of Trophy Wife, and that mostly comes down to the stuff with Whitford and Ackerman. Ah, oh, God, I really hope the narration goes away. I hope that's only a... Are you, you're making a I'm, face. I'm 100%. I'm like 5,000% agreeing. Okay. That's what that face the, is. The narration needs to go away. Um, I'm hoping that's only a premiere thing. Uh, we'll, we'll get to formal devices that should be ditched after one episode soon. In something else, uh, the I mean, it's got a great cast. I, what I didn't need was um, the. I, I mean, I really didn't need the stuff with uh, with Kooky ex wife, and I think the stuff with Marcia Gay Harden was fine. Yeah, the stuff with Michaela Michaela Watkins didn't really work for me. Uh, definitely way too broad, but uh, I liked pretty much all the stuff with her and the kids, and I don't know. I mean, Ackerman's just awesome, and it's she gets she gets way more fun stuff to do than Anna Ferris got on Moms. So, and I feel like they're well, Ferris is more accomplished, but I like Ackerman probably as much. So, I'm hoping it. Yeah, I'm just follow the good people, follow the good. Yeah, and it would be really nice if Natalie Morales actually got a character. That would be nice. Yes, I didn't really care for that aspect either. Yeah, I'm really big fan of hers. Love her, and so it would be it would be very nice if she actually got a character to play on the show. Uh, let's go, move on to Michael J. Fox show pilot. What did you think? Did you watch just yeah. one or did you watch both? Oh, I only watched one. Uh, I was expecting to watch both given the cast, but then after the first, I was like, mm, "Schmack." <laughs> that, my... that sound is perfect. Exact reaction, like uh, I'm just watching it, thinking this. You know, with the people involved, you just keep thinking they should be 1,000% better. You know, if it was another cast doing the same script, you'd probably think, oh, this is sort of novel in some ways. But it just feels like it thinks it's not pulling the punches, but it's totally pulling the punches. (laughs) Like, it's, I don't know, like, I feel like it needed someone like, um, uh, someone like Peter Tolan running it, like the guy who created, who co-created Rescue Me. Like who you know, Michael J. Fox had a had a great run on that. Like it needed someone 
more gutsy behind it. And the whole talking head daughter's documentary thing was a horrible schmaltzy device that they need to get rid of as soon as possible. That doesn't go away. Apparently it's also in the second episode. I can't imagine they're always going to do. And the third. I've seen. Well, it might not be the third. I've seen three and it's in all three. They that needs to to go now. Yeah, uh, that needs to go. I mean, there are some you know decent comic moments here and there, especially with Wendell Pierce. But yeah, this was. Uh, it's, it's not. It's it's not there yet, people. It needs work. It needs to be. Need, I, I don't know what else to say except it needs to be better than that. Should I pull up my sad violin for Katie Finneran? Yes. Oh, yeah. I knew. I knew. I, yeah, that's right. Because I, I was thinking about the premieres. Like, yeah, there's someone who gets totally wasted in this as well, but I forget who it is. It's Katie Finner. And yeah, that character. No, no. Can't can't play too long on that violin because she is getting paid to be on a network comedy. So you know. Yeah. There, there's as, that. But as as nice as it is to see Betsy Brandt having fun, we assume. Uh, and she clearly she's even said that it was a huge relief. To not to do something <laughs> later, so good for her. To but not yeah, be Marie. it's there's definitely I can't be too harsh on it because I feel like with just a little bit of retooling, it could be really good. Um, but I don't, based on the tone of this episode, I'm not convinced that's going to happen. So hopefully, they if I hear it's taking more chances, then yay. But not something about my future radar just isn't. It's not pinging like it is with some other shows that maybe weren't even as good. Next up in the pilot rundown, let's go to Hello Ladies on HBO. Right, which is Stephen Merchant's attempt at going solo, as it were. You'll know him as, uh, I'm trying to remember what they, what his nickname for him was on The Office, but essentially the gangly one. <laughs> um, and I had high hopes for this because I like Stephen Merchant, especially as a, as a sidekick. And I think it's the, there's absolutely nothing wrong with the premise, but I just found this to be utterly charmless and just, I partially it's because it's been so long since I've watched a series that relied heavily on cringe humor. I, I don't think I've seen a show like this since maybe uh, Todd Margaret. <laughs> like I feel like it's similar levels of cringe, although not as creative. And so for that reason alone, it, it took me a really long, I think it took me like two hours to watch this half hour episode. Cause I just kept pausing and doing other things. And me like, oh, it felt like a chore, frankly. Um, but even beyond that, cause I feel like that's a personal limitation. I just, I didn't, I I not only didn't I care about Stephen Merchant's character, I kind of actively just wanted him to fail because mm. he was just so smarmy and awful. And I get that that's kind of the point, but I don't. But the way that the episode is structured and written in terms of having everywhere every other character be worse and treat him even more poorly than he treats everyone else just made just made the whole thing feel like an awkward deck stacking exercise that was just uncomfortable and ugly, frankly. <laughs> Did they treat him worse than that than than he treated them though? Really, Kevin Wiseman's character, I'll give you that. But who else in the entire pilot treated him worse than he was treating them? Uh, well, okay, I, maybe I, I mostly had the Ken Wiseman character in mind, but um, okay, let me rephrase that. No one in the show is likable. Yeah, there uh, you go. <laughs> at all, maybe and... the roommate, maybe. Uh, not really though. Yeah, uh, that's just a stretch. Let's see, you know, I'm trying. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. And and again, that can work, but it wasn't funny enough. You compared it to Todd Margaret, and I left way more at Todd Margaret. I actually enjoyed most of the episodes that I watched for that. For this one, not only did I not really laugh, there's some elements there here that could be that could be good, but 
I just got, became increasingly uncomfortable with our lead character. As he goes, as he progresses, he gets smarmier, like you say. And then when he's at the bar, after a while, there's this undercurrent of anger in how he's being treated. And I got really frustrated by that because, and it's something that you see in some of these different shows that where they have uh, guys you know centering on guys when they're at bars this notion of well i'm gonna seem like a big man and buy drinks for some people and then they'll have to like me right no that's not how it works and you're just being an asshole you're you're forging you're you're pushing your way into this group of people who don't want you there and you're making them feel like they need to spend time with you because you're buying them stuff and then you're upset that they don't like you and you put yourself in the situation you did it all to yourself and there was just like this for me at least and I know you didn't have the same reaction but there was this sort of like undercurrent of of misogyny there about like oh well I spent $800 on you guys and uh, come on, you have to like me now because I spent $800 on you. Nobody made you do that. You did that yourself. And and so I I was just having this really, and I know that was not intentional. That's I'm probably overanalyzing like I always do, but there's just this sort of undercurrent of anger, not just the smarminess was really uh, turning me off, uh, just watching the show, like really getting me to decide I'm probably not going to watch the show again. I've, I I had that feeling anyway, but I don't know. I just I was so annoyed with how heightened that whole sequence was. With like this would never happen. Yeah. Um. That I didn't even get to the bit where I noticed the subtext. So I'm not saying it's not there. I just like the other aspects were galling me enough that I didn't care enough to like analyze. You're probably absolutely right. And there, I, I mean, when you talk about the undercurrent of anger, I mean, there's definitely a very male feeling yeah. being evoked in that in that sequence of, you know, th that comes from loneliness and, and, uh, and, uh, desperation. And there's real, you can, you can do things with that that are funny. We'll get mm -hmm. there in a second with something else. Uh, but I don't think that happens here. Yeah. And in just also, I, and I'm also really tired of this notion of, Oh, nobody likes me. No, you know, it's like, well, maybe if you weren't always going after the people, you have nothing in common with Stephen Merchant's character and this character and so many other things. Why don't you, you know, I'm sure there are other people around this hanging out, not out maybe at this bar who you would get along with great, but you're like, I want to go after this hot model lady, actress lady, because she's so pretty. And if I buy her stuff, she has to like me. So I don't know. Which, which again, that may not be an issue because maybe we're not supposed to think that he's making the right choices, but that yeah. doesn't matter because it's not funny. It's not funny. Let's yeah. let's move on to a show that is though, and that's Eastbound and Down. I laughed my butt Ooh. off at the, just this opening sequence. I am not. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> like it was just such a beautiful delight to see Kenny Powers for once. And I knew it was not going to last very long, but to see him not ri rise to the bait, I don't think, has that ever happened on the show before? Uh, no. And I think Danny McBride has a blast under, like, sort of playing, you know, for about a five minute chunk of the episode, frankly, just being the nice suburban dad who's just going to go to his job and look after the kids and be a nice guy. And I love how short lived it is. <laughs> um and, uh, and it, I mean, we get our first hint with that human centipede conversation, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, sorry, I keep making you laugh. It's not good for you. It's um, not good for the throat. But, uh, I, could, I have a weird admiration for Eastbound and Down, not just because it's a really good show, but there's something strange about it because I feel like the first season, which I don't think you've ever seen, is like 
The first season is like the platonic ideal of Eastbound and Down. I don't think it's ever going to get that good. But I like that it just keeps coming back with a different idea every season and then doing it. It's only ever six to eight episodes long, whatever it is. It gets out of its own way. And if it doesn't all work, that's all right. You've got the other seasons and they're different and funny in their own way. And I like and, and there's something like I kind of feel like Kenny Powers is like this eternal comedy demon who just can't be killed. <laughs> and he just keeps re- resurrecting himself in slightly different forms, but never really changes. And, you know, the people around him change, but he's just always there, just always Kenny Powers. There's something, like, almost profound about it. Am I making any sense? <laughs> no, you definitely are. And I-, I absolutely agree about the way that the show reinvents itself. I really appreciate that. And I think that's what stops it from, at least for me, getting too old. Because there have been episodes where I've just I've just hated uh, anything with Will yeah. Ferrell in a white suit. Hate. Just all the hate. Uh, but because they change things up frequently enough, if they go in a direction that is too extreme for for, for you or me, more accurately, then you know that... They, well, first of all, there's almost always at least one performance within the show that is uh, fantastic. It's, that will distract from everything else. So in the, in the episodes that I was really struggling with last season... They were still Don Johnson. <laughs> and right. uh, and so to see, you know, just who they brought in this season, I'm really looking forward to Ken Marino. I know you're looking forward to Tim Heidecker and seeing what they bring to the show. But like you said, the fact that they don't just keep doing the exact same thing over again, the character is the same, but the situation shifts. And I really mm. appreciate that. Yeah. And plus digging meth holes at the end was pretty great. Oh, yeah. And for the record, uh, the reason I'm excited for Tim Heidecker is because not because of Tim and Eric, actually, but because. He actually gave one of my very favorite performances last year in a movie called The Comedy by Rick Alverson. He was amazing. So I'm hoping that they actually use some of his range on this because I think he could really surprise people. Interesting. I look forward to it uh, and see, kind of following that and seeing how it goes. Let's move on to Bob's Burgers. A river, a river runs through Bob. Uh, I thought it was solid. Uh, mm-hmm. Pretty. I mean, it had lots of nudity and not one of their better songs, but a song. And uh, a pretty solid conceit and crazy survivalists. So, I mean, it was pretty, they they stacked the deck pretty well for themselves. Yeah, it was fun, but I I didn't necessarily agree with all the tumults of praise I was seeing on on Twitter. I'm very, very glad to have the show back. I love the show. I'm, I'm even more glad it's been renewed for next season. So, awesome. So we're still getting like another... 44 episodes of Bob's Burgers. I will, I will watch them all. I, I enjoyed the kids stuff more than the, uh, than the parents this week. I did get maybe an extra appreciation for it because I do come from a family that you camped when I was a kid and I, my, my sister and I did Girl Scouts, my brothers did Boy Scouts and, you know, our Eagle Scouts and all that. So I, I had an extra level of fun, uh, with the, <laughs> some of the scouting stuff and the survival and orienteering and all of that. Um, but but still, just like after a while, a diarrhea joke is a diarrhea joke, and yeah. and so I I know that they can do better. Um, as much as this was a solid premiere, and so I'm, I'm more than anything, I'm looking forward to what's going to come next. For sure, I think the the highlights for me were definitely the stuff with Tina and her and her brethren and having to swear them off. <laughs> yeah, def definitely. Oh, memories. Okay, let's move on to Parks and Rec. Their two part premiere, London. Right. Um, so just to be clear, so everyone knows, um, you're never going to get Prime Parks back. It's not going to happen. 
you need to accept that it was that was a long time ago. If you don't think so, you're incorrect. That's okay. Everyone's incorrect sometimes, but it's over. Uh, that being said, I thought it was a perfectly fine premiere. Uh, I didn't laugh a lot, but it was sweet. And uh, the idea that they would get a wedding over just be- just during the cold open, I thought was was nice and nicely, I think, hype contradicting for the, in a way that suited those characters. So that was good. Uh, Peter Serafinowicz again uh, as Rich Andy was just a delight. I mean, <laughs> it's nice to see him finally popping up on good shows because he's made a lot of appearances on things that are not so good. Um, and I don't really have a whole lot else to say, uh, except that I won't be surprised if this turns out to be the last season, but I guess we'll have to see how everything else on NBC does. Yeah, I, I, I want to specifically mention, I love their quick nod to, uh, to, to Chris Pratt's weight loss. For those who don't know, he gained a bunch of weight for a movie he was filming at, during the hiatus last year, and then of course lost everything for Guardians of the Galaxy. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, just Google Chris Pratt workout or something. Yeah, he's, he didn't just lose weight, to be clear. Yeah, he's he got ripped. absurdly cut. And one of the things he did was he didn't drink beer for a year. And so the, just the shout, the quick line of, so wait, you just stopped drinking beer and you lost 50 pounds? Yeah. How, how much were you drinking? <laughs> Probably too much. You know, just <laughs> such a perfect little throwaway line to explain for those who, you know, aren't following, you know, such things on Twitter. And uh, it was just, it was a really fun episode. I absolutely agree. I don't think we're going to get back to the heights of season three and season four. I think it's a, it's a different show now. I don't laugh out loud as much, but I always enjoy watching it. I really enjoy these characters. What it What doesn't happen now that it used to is I don't, remember specific things and talk about them weeks later the way that I used to when I was first getting to know Ron Swanson and April and all these other characters but I do think there's a lot of potential in this season I liked what the way they're already transitioning Chris and Anne and uh and we'll see uh how that's handled but I think having those two characters leave the show makes sense and is a good thing as much as I do enjoy them and so the way that all that's handled, if that lets Donna get more to do, if that lets you know some of these other characters get more to do, that's a good thing. And really positioning April as the successor to Leslie and as the new Anne, sort of, I think makes a lot of sense. And I look forward to what comes next. Yeah, I'll be curious to see if they try to introduce new characters or if they just work with what they got. Yeah, I could see I could see somebody coming in as sort of new April, not with the same quirks, but to be the new young person and watching April have to deal with that could be pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would be surprised if they tried to make a new person be Leslie, fill the friend role. Yeah, that would be a bit much. Um, but hey, we're getting Tatiana Maslany at some point. So. What, what? Tatiana Maslany, always going to be welcome. I, I, I look forward to, to seeing what she's going to bring to the show. I, I, I want more Maslany. I want, I want to see that in Meter Maids pilot that that carl pitched just for the maslani of it all absolutely we, we will be inundated with maslani at some point but it hasn't happened yet i'm just impatient for that to start happening <laughs> so what wins your week in comedy so many choices <sighs> um good question having not seen ntsf which might have won uh, i really like eastbound and down obviously uh bob's is always good keen peel I don't know. I guess just for just for the sheer fun of having it back, I'll go for Eastbound. For me, it comes down to Always Sunny was solid, but it comes down to NTSF, Key and Peel, and Parks and Rec. 
Though I did laugh at Eastbound, but it's not top three for me. I guess I'll give it to NTS FSD SUV just because I, I think I laughed the most at that. But Key and Peel and Parks and Rec, Always Sunny, Eastbound, all, like there were several shows that were on on form this week. And uh, I look forward to many more weeks. We're, we're going to figure out how we're going to handle this on the podcast when we actually do have season spotlights and DVD shelves on our regular episodes. Yeah, well, you know, we're just going to have to start hacking and slashing. Yeah, there's a few here that can go, but we'll, we'll figure it out as we move forward. Let's take a quick break and come back and talk reality. Rain, rain, We only have one show, but we uh, figured we should talk about it. It's the premiere for Amazing Race Season 23. We're not in Oklahoma no more. And uh, we mentioned who all is in the, pool, in the pool for right now. Of course, we have a Televerse Amazing Race pool. And the prize is a shiny gift certificate to Amazon. But more importantly, ownership until the next... Wow, Nomi. Yeah, of, of Nomi, our, our Televerse traveling gnome, who is adorable and says, OMG. It's- just to be clear, it's Klaus Nomi. When did that happen? Is it <laughs> always has it always been Klaus Nomi? Oh my goodness, I'm I'm a, I'm no, a bad gnome mommy. No, it's 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 Klaus Nomi since I decided it should be. <laughs> <laughs> like at the end of last season. Mario break the tie here. Mario's in, currently in possession of Nomi, having won last season. Uh, so so I managed to to do some basic research on this. Watch the meet the cast video. Uh, read read up a little bit to get a sense of who these different teams are, and I feel good about my overall pick. I went with the ER docs, and they're looking pretty good. But I managed to be in last place after the first week with zero points. There's only one other person tied with me, and that's Paul, who hasn't picked anything yet. <laughs> yeah, I'm not actually in there yet, so when I do get in there, I will also be tied with you. Uh, having seen the episode, I would probably also go with the ER docs. See, but frankly. you're not going to be able to go for 33 points. Yeah, but you're not going to get 33 points. If they win, and I keep them. Yeah, yeah but they're not going to win. You know how I know that? Because we both picked them. <laughs> but... so I have to pick someone else. Damn it. Um... <laughs> But uh, yeah, they're looking good. The uh, the football bros are looking pretty good. I'm glad we have more metalheads on this year. It's not explicitly stated, but I did some research, and the shirt he's wearing is for an experimental sludge outfit called Cold Blue Mountain. I was listening to their band camp earlier. They're not bad. Uh, so yes, more metalheads always welcome. Uh, wasn't sad to see the first team go because it seemed like that was going to get really annoying. Frankly, mm-hmm. um, that, I don't. Is this the first time they've had a team on who just openly admits to not liking each other? I think so. Usually they pretend. <laughs> or they're pretending to not like each other. Yeah. Or, you know, usually it's, you know, less less just straightforward. And I appreciate that as much as I don't look forward to yelling. I gotta say, really? Really do we need the professional athletes? And do we need the wives of professional athletes? As a team, too. Now, obviously, professional athletes are teams, too, are people, too. And The Amazing Race is an amazing experience. And anybody should be able to apply. Yes. But I'm sorry. 
of the list of people who are there, who is more in need of the million dollar prize? The guy whose wife is in the hospital or the two professional athletes? Also, the deck is stacked physically. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because I I mean, I agree with you in principle. On the other hand, uh, the problem with that is if you have a whole show filled with people who really deserve the money, then you're like comparing people's problems and it gets like really hairy. Uh, So, you know, I I get that they want to have variety. But yeah, I agree that it's not really they they, they should have had a little bit more diversity, like socioeconomic diversity uh, this season. Well, and it came up last season, too, because Bates and Anthony had two professional hockey players. And guess what? If you're a professional athlete, you're going to be in much better physical condition than everybody else who's racing. And that's just such an edge. I don't know. On the other hand, one of them did get the best line of the episode about how he was comfortable with his width. <laughs> that was a good line. That was touche. That was good. I, I enjoyed the, the paragliding or whatever that was. I thought that was, I thought I liked the turnaround of, of it actually the other person actually ending up having, you know, from what people were expecting, having to jump off. I thought that was more interesting. And uh, it actually ended up being in the people's Ben. I think it seemed to help people more than hurt them because usually it was the, the weaker of the two physically who ended up wanting to do the skydiving thing. And so mm-hmm. then they ended up following, which meant that the stronger of the two who had done that, ended up having to do the rowing, you know what I mean? Yeah, that did, that did seem to work out for them. Yeah. But uh, sort of a non-challenge, but, you know, I think that the, the rowing thing like, seemed like it could be difficult enough to be a real challenge. Yeah, and I do feel good about the doctors because I feel like now that they got their blunder out in the first week, they will they will probably continue to read the clues from here on out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see. That, uh, that does always seem to get people, but... But yeah, hopefully, yeah, I figured they're used to handling stress, they're used to going without sleep, you know, ER doctor, we'll see. I went the doctors yeah. last year and it burned me. That's true, yes. Uh, are they married? I forget. Uh, yes, they are married. So that's not good. With four kids. That's really not good. Well, that means that they're, you know, they can deal with some stress. They dealt that's with true. four babies, I mean, come on. That's true. Uh, they're definitely ones to look out for, football players also. Yeah. We'll see. They're, they're they're pretty clearly the top, the top two. Like I know that a different team won this week, but I'm not really taking them seriously yet. Yeah. So that the, that's our thoughts on reality. I also watched the the Top Chef Masters finale. It looked delicious. Doug won. Don't really have much more to say. We'll talk about Top Chef New Orleans next week to to round out the reality category oh, a little snap. bit more. Yep. Already. Already next week. For but for now, let's take a break. Listen to some music and come back with our weekend drama.
this week for the dramas, we have the pilot to Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We have the premiere of Homeland, Tin Man is Down, The Bridge, All About Ava, Strike Back, Shadow Warfare, Episode 7, The Good Wife premiere, Everything is Ending, The Parenthood premiere, It Has to Be Now, and The Broadchurch Season 1 finale. And then, of course, we're going to spotlight Masters of Sex pilot called Pilot. So let, let's kick things off with S.H.I.E.L.D. Just a few shows this week. Just a few. Okay, we're going to try to keep it reasonably short. Um, I can't imagine, I mean, okay, here's the thing about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I can imagine at some point the show getting really good. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, though, just because it just feels weirdly low stakes to me, uh, which is surprising because this is a show about the fate of the entire world, except it's the Marvel world, which has its own set of rules, and this, you know, people are trumpeting this is a Joss Whedon show, which isn't exactly correct. Uh, you know, he co-wrote this pilot, but he won't be the showrunner, although uh, he is, you know, his very talented brethren are, are there. And more than that, though, this isn't a Joss Whedon creation. You're talking about existing properties. And I think what worries me is, and I think this pilot kind of bears that out a little, although it is a pilot, so we don't know how much that's going to be an issue going forward. It just feels to me like there are a lot of a lot of suits watching this thinking, let's not take too many chances, kids. And this takes no chances at all. And it's going to need to get riskier and ballsier and less cute and more exciting if I'm going to be actually watching it in the future. Yeah, is it possible to take negative chances? (laughs) I think it is. I think this proves that it is. Yeah, and like you said, it's very important to keep in mind a couple things. First of all, that like you said, this is not a Joss Whedon property because it is a pre-existing thing. It's very much... uh, television by committee and as we will talk about later in in the breaking bad mega dvd shelf that's headed your guys way on the feed all television in america tends to be somewhat tel- uh creation by committee because of the writer's room and everything but usually there's one clear voice making all the final decisions and that's the showrunner but with marvel and uh and at abc Disney. and yeah and dis every there's a lot of this is a very important property. The Avengers and everything that goes with are a very important property to many people who have a lot of money at stake. So this is going to get this is the kind of show that's going to have notes in the way that uh, they're going to wish they they had never complained about notes on something like Dollhouse. Uh, you're not going to see anything nearly as interesting or daring at first, I would assume, on S.H.I.E.L.D. that that you're going to have seen yeah. on, on the other Joss Whedon shows. Also, it's important to keep in mind that with the exception of Firefly, Joss Whedon, he's not good at pilots, I don't think. I mean, they're they're solid. They're, they set up an interesting world, and usually there's a couple, at least a couple funny lines and stuff, but his... The, the Buffy pilot, the Angel pilot, the Dollhouse pilot, the original one, and the, re, the the one that they actually ended up going with, these are not great pilots. They're solid, okay, we're starting our world. J.J. Abrams at the moment has cornered the market on amazing pilots of the major geek creators right now, and Joss Whedon certainly, certainly has not. So the, just because this is a, a okay pilot doesn't mean that the show couldn't be great. The some of the central performances are not particularly engaging to me. It is as other people have commented on this. Yes, there there is an Asian American cast member, uh, and yes, there's Ron Glass in there. But this is a really white 
pilot <laughs> with J. August Richards as, as the big main character kind of exception to that. I think he's really good in this pilot. I wish he was sticking around. Clearly he's not. But I, I'm also having trouble with just how white this cast is. The, the whiteness doesn't bother me as much as the prettiness does. Like They're very bland. They're, like, they're... They may be very talented actors. But when I'm just looking at this cast, I'm having trouble keeping... If they're not talking, I'm having trouble keeping in mind who is who. Because there's a Brit and there's a Scott and everything. But if, if I'm just looking at them, they, there's a sameness. Yeah. Well, especially, like, it, it, it stretches credibility when you have, like... Is her name Chloe Bennett? Yeah. Um, who we saw on... I only remember her from Nashville, really. Like, she's she's fine. She's actually one of the better main performances, I think. But we're also meant to believe that she's a super hacker living out of a van. Her hair is way too nice for someone who's living out of the van. For starters, yes. Uh, and so the, the the whole pilot does have this sanitized uh, sort of... It's it's very shiny uh, to the degree where uh, where Clark Gregg's old car can't just be an old car. It has to be a hover... Uh, you know, it has to be a hover car. It's like that, that to me is a handy visual synecdoche for the entire show. Um, so I'm not discounting the idea that it might get interesting once, like... Which I think will only happen, frankly, if the show is a huge hit. Well, and and that car, too, just felt like, hey, remember how in Firefly, Jane had a gun named Vera, and it was hilarious and awesome? Let's do that again. What? He's not going to name a gun. Let's have him name a car. It's just, it's like, it's just like forced in there. The whole yeah. like line about don't touch low. Like, it comes out of nowhere. It's just... There's some elements here that are a little uh, too... I can see the strings. I, it felt feels a little too forced for me. Yeah. Well, and I think the only way it, it, it's... I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how the, the powers that be, in this case, handle it. But the only scenario I can see that works out well for them is if the ratings just go bazonkers, which hasn't happened so far. Um, although we'll see what happens this week. And in that case, they might get a little wiggle room in terms of taking more chances. But... You know, it's it again. It's absurdly early. I don't want to drone on about it too much because anything could happen. But I am certainly wary of this hyper corporate approach where there's so much at stake. Where the, it seems like there's more at stake off screen than on screen. Definitely. And that and that's a problem. Also, I wish Kobe Smolders was going to be on. I really enjoyed her in this in her few scenes. Just. I, I enjoyed watching her on my television, not being saddled with all of the. The, the things that are happening on How I Met Your Mother at this moment. So seeing her back as Maria Hill or just really not as Robin made me really happy. And I'm going to miss her throughout the season. That all, the, all of this being said, I, will, I look forward to watching the next episode tonight as we record. I look forward to following us for at least several episodes. I mean, I gave Ringer like six. I'm going to give this at least six. <laughs> so, so I, I, you know, I, I have my fears, I have my issues with it, and yet I know I will be tuning in for quite a while. So, <laughs> take uh, make of that what you will. Shall we move on to Homeland? Sure, why not? When you first saw this premiere, you said it like offended your ideology or something. I, I, I do not understand how this inspired such a passionate response. Oh, I can give it to you in one line. And uh, that's Mandy Patinkin Saul saying something to the effect of, this is the CIA. We're not assassins. <laughs> <laughs> really? You're not assassins? You may be other things also, but you are most definitely assassins. Come Have you seen your own drone program? On. Come on. Yeah, it's true. Like, that to me just tells me that the people 
who are in charge of this show right now think we're dumb and they think that Saul is dumb and we know Saul isn't dumb. So that, that actually to me was the deal breaker moment more than Claire Danes and her horrible testimony scenes, more than the fact that we're being saddled with a half dozen plot lines that I don't understand how anyone could care about. That to me is just a sign that this show views its universe through rose colored glasses, which you would think was impossible given all the dark and horrible things that have happened in it. But no, uh, so that, to me, was the breaking point. Well, and it's particularly hilarious because we see Peter Quinn commit an assassination in the episode. Yes. He goes into someone's house to execute them. Yeah, and and there's no, it's not an ironic line. It's yeah. a, it's an earnest line from a very smart man who we're meant to, to sympathize Respect. and empathize with. So, yeah, that, to me, was a, was a seriously offensive moment. Yeah, the... So I, 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 okay, I see what you're where you're coming from with that. Then fair enough. The that is troubling. Just the lack of maybe perspective about the show. Uh, th- as far as the Carrie Brody stuff, I'm so glad Brody's not here. I, I think where we pick up with Carrie makes sense. I like that it's messy. I like that it's not easy. And I look forward to following the Carrie and Saul relationship. I know that you're you're out <laughs> at least for now. Uh, I really did not need any of the stuff with the eldest Brody. What's her name? Uh, the, the Dana Brody, Dana. You mean the eldest, eldest Brody offspring? Yes, yes, Dana. Yeah, that stuff is awful, and it was. It's. It's frankly, it's always been awful. Like the the actress, what? I think is she's the actress has done pretty. The well. actress has done good work, but the stuff that they've written for her, like the 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 fucking car accident last season. Outside of se- like, okay, so season one, I think, uh, Dana Brody stuff excellent, and the beginning of season two, very good. Car crash, so that's Q and A of our episode five on. Ugh. And, uh, and they start to explore some interesting things there, but through writing out Brody, they can't continue to explore those same interesting things. So they have to take her in a completely different direction. I was confused as to why we picked up with the Brody family at all. As much as I, and I'm, I'm, like I said last week, I'm glad to have Marina background on my television. I'm really enjoying the little bits we're getting from her. I think that's interesting, but I don't understand this fascination with, with Dana Brody as much as I do enjoy that performer. I think for this season to be any good, they needed to make a total break. Yeah. And it, they clearly are unwilling to do that. I think what the last scenes we got with the Brodies in the finale of last season should have been it. Mm-hmm. We should have no more of, of the Brodies. We should have no more Brody, period. He's definitely, he's obviously. He should be dead. We both think. We talked about this last season. But yeah. Yeah. Brody should be out. He'll be back <laughs> three or four or five episodes or whatever. We all know it's going to happen. I'm not spoiling anything. Um, he's their Emmy gold. He's not going anywhere. Or mm-hmm. one of their bits of Emmy gold. Um, I don't know. It just feels it, 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 much like S.H.I.E.L.D. It just feels like people not being bold enough, not being brave enough with their material. And this could change later, I suppose. I mean, they've pulled off some pretty remarkable shifts in the past, but I just found this premiere incredibly dispiriting. I will still be following. Like I said, I like this, the stuff with Carrie. I like Saul, except for that hilarious line. You're right. Uh, very glad to have F. Murray Abraham on my television, apparently on a weekly basis. I'm enjoying Peter Quinn. So there is enough here for me to keep tuning in. But you're right. There's definite problems. And I will keep you apprised as to if I think you should tune back in. All right. Fair enough. Let's move on to the bridge. All about Ava. Uh, I thought this was actually pretty solid. Um I know that, I mean, I think they needed this. It's a very quiet episode. Uh, not a lot happens of the sort that we saw in weeks past. I think uh, Bashir did a great job. I mean, he's getting some very familiar beats. He has a uh, he has a morning beard. He's getting drunk a lot. But 
Um, I like that they did that in a fairly minimalist way. Like when she asks him how he's doing, he's like, well, I've been drunk or I've been asleep. Like, <laughs> that's that's the perfect response yeah. to that situation. That that makes perfect sense for him and and, and for, you know, the show in general. Uh, I, I actually like the stuff we got with Thomas Wright this week. I think his character's finally starting to make sense, even if his accent isn't. Um, if he wants to start next season with a totally different accent for no reason, it's fine by me. Please. I would love it. <laughs> Well, first of all, okay, and, and I'm going to butt in here because, yes, the stuff we get with Thomas Wright this week is so much better, and that's Jono, by the way, as we've been referencing him all season. Uh, the stuff we get with that character, Linder, this week is is way better than most of what we've gotten all season. And yet, I wish he wasn't on the show. That entire just, character. Just because of the voice? No, just because he doesn't serve a purpose, and he has not served a purpose almost all season. He's interesting, but you could cut him out of the show completely. Well, except that this week he does—he is the engine that get, that gets Sonia and Marco back working together. This is episode twelve. That's true. This is episode twelve. Okay, <laughs> we followed this character for twelve weeks. He wasn't in one or two episodes. There were some good moments, some fun moments, but they have not tied into anything else with our main characters, and it needs to pay off in a big freaking way. For, for me yeah. to not be upset having invested so much time into that character. And that goes times two. Her friggin' Charlotte. Oh, yeah. I have way more of a problem with Charlotte than I do with, with Thomas Wright, because at least his characters had some fun stuff to watch. The uh, and, I, and I think that Linda is important in terms of, you know, building the wider world of the show, because we've always said that the world is more interesting than the case. And I think he's an important part of that. I don't think he's interesting. I guess that's my problem. Okay, fair enough. The uh, yeah, the stuff with Charlotte. If they're setting her up as like the big bad of next season, which it kind of seems like they're doing, I really hope that's not the case. Yeah, um, but I did. I actually did like her scene with Fasto, even if I don't care for her as a character. I thought the visuals were really interesting. I liked it. It just it looked gorgeous. The cinematography and the lighting in that scene with the the circus, like for no reason, that was interesting. Yeah. But they managed to make Fausto less interesting. Just, just by, by association with Charlotte. We know nothing about this character. And again, episode freaking 12. Yeah. Well, she just doesn't seem like the same person. She isn't. That we met. Yeah. She's, she's, she's a pure plot functionary, which is really too bad. Uh, but I think all the A-plot stuff worked. It was nice and, you know, not trying to, uh, not trying to do too much. Just trying to, you know, get us caught up with the characters in a place that makes sense. I'm very... I haven't seen the preview for next week. I don't know anything about next week, so I have no idea what they plan on doing. I do one more complaint though, which is that the character of Ava. I think it's weird that the that the episode is called all about Ava, considering we still know nothing about Ava. We know nothing or, about yeah, and it, she just seems remarkably dumb. Well, and the the trouble I have with Ava in this is that we get to see get to are are forced to watch her be brutalized and raped and have all this terrible stuff happen to her, I have zero sense that she is going to be able to be saved. And it doesn't seem like the show thinks that either, because you, you have Thomas Wright looking for dead bodies, right? Looking for bodies in the desert. Trying Which to, I must say was a very striking sequence. Very striking, and it featured a visual that was in the promotional materials for the show at the very beginning. So we mm -hmm. finally saw those crosses that, you know, obviously this is where the show wanted to go eventually. I'm surprised that they decided to wait till episode 12. But but anyways, if we're going to see all of that terrible thing, all those terrible things, happen, which we knew was happening. They've talked about it on the show before. Uh, Marco has talked about about all the horrible things that happen to women in, in uh, Juarez. If we're going to have to see it 
and be powerless, which it feels like right now. It doesn't seem like there's any way they're going to save her. Uh, I have a, a little bit of a problem with that, unless they're really going to dive into it. And that leads to my, my last... It's not a problem with this episode. It's a substantial fear for what's coming next. I'm sure you noticed it too. Andrea's sister works at the same factory as Ava, and she just got uh, switched to a different shift with a boss who's nice. He's not like the other bosses. How many episodes until she's been kidnapped and we're watching her get brutalized? Because they're making us care about her now because they intend to brutalize her later, much like they did with Marco's wife. It's they're, they're, it's tricky because, you know, that sort of thing, you know, it's it's realistic in a sense because, you know, the same thing happened to so many women and as mm-hmm. far as I know, it continues to happen. So how do you make that compelling drama while still honoring the fact that this is what happens? So they're kind of in a tight place and I I sympathize with them that they that that's what they they're trying to make interesting. So yeah, I'm hoping they zag where we think they're zigging on that, but so far that hasn't been the pattern with the bridge. Well, and if they were spending the same investment in all of the characters, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. Then it would just be, oh no, one of these characters we care about is is going something bad's going to happen. But they it seems like they only care about they only invest any time in developing these characters so that we'll care when something terrible happens. Because the characters they've spent any time with that are not our main four, so Sonia, Marco, um, Matthew Lillard, and Emily Rios, uh, yeah. those four have not had horrible things happen to them personally. But all of the periphery well. characters... All, well, yeah, but still, you know, on the scale, <laughs> yeah. on the on the scale. Yeah. <laughs> but all the periphery characters we spent any significant a pe- period of time with, it, you know, with Marco's family and with Gus, it was so that we would care when something terrible happened. They don't care about developing Charlotte. They don't care about developing uh, um, Linder. So yeah. was, when they start spending time with Emily Rios's characters family, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. This is really great. And then I noticed the smock and went, some that's the only reason they're doing it. I, don't, I guess it's just that I don't trust the creators to actually care about their characters as characters. They seem to only care, care about them as plot devices. As functionaries, yes. So, yes, definitely a systemic issue with the bridge. Uh, last thing I wanted to mention is I think, I think they did a really good job with the scene where, um, where Marco sees Tate again. Yeah. And despite his best efforts to clean up and get his shit together, it's still... Yeah. still just devastates him. So I thought they did a great job with that. So, yeah, it continues to be a show that gets a lot of details right. And has a lot of great elements, but is just frustrating on, like, a fundamental level. Well, and I also appreciated that we didn't see inside the courtroom. There's a lot that they chose to not show this week that I appreciated. And those performances from those Central Four, like I said, they're they're fantastic. I really do enjoy... We'll talk about it next week with the finale, but the way that 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 Sonya character has grown and developed over the course of the season, it's so much better than how it started. And... Bashir has been fantastic, and Matthew Lillard has been a real discovery, and Emily Rios continues to be awesome. So, uh, so yeah, th- while I'm complaining about elements of the show, I am still watching. My review for All About Ava is up at Sunday's site. You will be sort of co-reviewing the finale? Yeah, I, I, Randy's going to be reviewing it, and I'm going to chime in on it at some point. I, I did the pilot, so I, I, and I like symmetry, so <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll chime in there with where it's gone. And I, I'm going to reread my pilot review as well and see how wrong or right i was (laughs) well let's move on to a more satisfying show for me at least and that's strike back shadow warfare we're off to russia right uh and of all the like 
we're so screwed cliffhangers they've done, I think this probably tops it for me. Like, they seem especially, like, to the degree where I'm actually worried about next week's episode, like, what sort of crazy contrivance are they going to come up with that doesn't end with both of these guys dead? Uh, it's going to have to be really good. So <laughs> I'm keeping that in mind. Uh, other than that, it was a really, really fun episode. Um, the way the show is written is so ridiculous. Like, the the Pushkin character, is that his name? Something uh, like that. The, the way, like, he... He tries to shiv them in the uh, when they when they get to his cell, which makes sense because he's just trying to defend himself. And then he says something about like you can't appear weak in a Russian prison. Like you're in a Russian prison and you're explaining <laughs> that it's a Russian prison in like, Russian. Just, yeah, in Russian with with with. I love their impact font subtitles. Yeah, they're so weird. It's fun. They're so strange. It's, it's like, a little bit of character there. It's a little bit of character. It makes every frame look like a GIF. It's really <laughs> weird. Um, but I, I, it works for them. But yeah, just this show is so cartoonish on some level. And yet later in the episode when Pushkin does his like drag distraction thing, I was like, this is actually kind of touching in the context of Russian anti-gay legislation. So yeah, yeah. Strike Back is such a weird show sometimes. And also I love that we talked about pull- shows pulling punches with Homeland and Strike Back, they they just you know we'll see what happens with it, but they're gonna just like kind of let Anderson be killed and, and abandon him. They're like, we should guys, we shouldn't do that. And the other lady's like, no, we're doing that. And I love I love that while yes, we'll see what happens this next week. Theoretically, they could still save him. They while they aren't happy about it, they are willing to leave this person behind who did try to help them, and uh, and, and that's a bit of honesty that I appreciate. Well, and not to mention them still not interrupting the video feed when that lady gets shot in the head. Yeah, exactly. They like they we have orders. We're following them. Yeah, absolutely. And when you talk about cliffhangers, neurotoxin that will kill you in less than a day is, is pretty good. Yeah, while you're being shipped off to the to the even worse Russian jail, where you'll be killed some other way with no antidote. You know, unless you can get back to the the base. Yeah, that's that's a good that's a good that's cliffhanger. a solid cliffhanger for sure. <laughs> There's how many episodes left? Three. Three. Okay, that's not bad. If I, if they had to resolve it all next week, I'd be very concerned. But yeah, it, it it's following this very familiar structure where. There's a multi-stage evil plan that they have to foil, and each stage they keep not foiling it so that they have to foil it at the end when it's really tense. Like It's yeah. a very familiar formula, but they're doing it very well. Absolutely. And I, I, let us know, by the way, if you're tuning in to Strike Back this season, we haven't heard from any of our listeners that they are. Because, uh, like like I keep saying, I'm really enjoying, especially for like a Friday night, it's a good, fun Friday night show. Uh, I would be very curious to know if any of our listeners have tuned in this season. Yeah, for sure. Another very good, very fun show is always The Good Wife. So glad it's back. Uh, the premiere, Everything is Ending, was part of the TV apocalypse. What did you think of this premiere? The Good Wife tends to do really well with premieres. I mean, it's got a it's got a solid pilot. In fact, possibly a very good one. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember enjoying it. Uh, the, I remember the premiere last season being quite spectacular. This one isn't quite as good, uh, but it's still very good. I think it suffers a little bit because it's trying to do a lot, which... You know, typically Good Wife episodes do, but this one is like double that. Uh, You know, you've got two dozen characters competing for screen time. And meanwhile, you've also got this very compelling case, which I think gets underserved a little. Like, I actually, I thought the setup was amazing. You know, this idea of uh, a faulty prison uh, prison execution or death row execution uh, being tantamount to torture as a way of delaying so that they can clear this guy's name. That deserved more screen time. 
and I think deserve more development. Like, for instance, when the when the when the former prosecutor or assistant prosecutor on the case is something like, uh, you had six years to work on this. Why are you doing it now? Like, that was a valid point that wasn't adequately explored. Uh, I actually found the mechanics of the case quite confusing and difficult to follow. And I don't and it's not usually a huge issue with The Good Wife, although occasionally it is a problem. Partially it was the editing because it was so, you know, that it was so choppy in terms of the bits of the case being spread out over the episode. And also the the conclusion of the case didn't feel like one at all. Because, uh, like, okay, so you just gave him a few more days to live, and this is his second botched execution. Like, is that really a good thing? He's not, they're not going to try to execute him again. So, life imprisonment for a guy who you think is innocent. Uh, like, it, if there had been even just a line, of, and we'll keep working to prove your innocence in there, then that would be more satisfying. Uh, so, yes, he's not going to be executed. That's awesome. But... It, they, they talked about the the governor or or somebody the somebody was going to like affect his sentence, but it wasn't like they were going to let him out. It was just oh no, he was off of death row. I'm and, sure we both thought of on death row a lot during this. By the way, yes. Well, and yeah. this is it's one of the this is one of the few times with the Good Wife that I've had a bit of an issue because they normally get this stuff right, and technically he was trying to be executed by the state of Indiana. But the, the death penalty was abolished in Illinois in in 2011, or maybe even earlier. The last execution was in the 90s. So Illinois doesn't execute people. And it seemed like just the... They, they threw in that one line about the state of Indiana will have its opportunity to kill this man later or something like that. But it doesn't make sense. And why are they in Chicago? Because clearly they're in Chicago because she's able to go into the office and then go yeah. to the jail where he's being executed. You know, if they're going to, to really prize realism in a way, in authentic, authenticity, in a way that they usually have on The Good Wife, that means there are certain storylines you aren't allowed to do if you're in Chicago, if you're in Illinois. And yeah. you might have this really great idea, but then you have to restructure your episode. You have to not have this in the premiere because she needs to be in Indiana working on this case. She can't be in Chicago. Like, where are they executing this guy? Because <laughs> she, she's downtown at home with her kids and in the office. And then she and Diane are both at the, like, is that supposed to be like Joliet Prison is back up and running and executing people? Normally they get this stuff right on The Good Wife, so I was a little disappointed in that. As The rest of the episode, though, I mean, the case itself was very interesting, and I love Jeffrey Tambor. So glad that he's in rotation now. Um, yes. Just, just the... I really enjoyed that, his approach. I, the, the fact that they keep making these judges feel specific is very impressive. Um, we always talk about the guest cast uh, being such... so massive and so, such a, a highlight of, of the series, but even just, like, the things with... I loved the touch of Eli with with um, with Alicia. She, death Row Case is like, oh, I... I thought you were exaggerating. You literal, <laughs> yeah, literal. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know, like so. The stuff with Eli and her was fun. The stuff with Melissa George, I'm less enthused about, but at least they had a good rapport. The the dynamic between the various actors in that storyline seems to be working. And I like if, if it looks like we might be spending more time with the kids this season. And I am always for that. So. Yeah, this is one of the only shows that gets the kids right. Yeah. Uh, they're actually both interesting and uh, and fun to watch. Although the note of, like, Zach being flustered when he realizes his sister is attractive was like, that was weird for the good wife. Yeah, but it, it felt like I didn't, because I was watching this going, are they seriously supposed to, is Zach supposed to be going like, oh, my sister's hot? But I think that just that notion of, oh, wait, my sister's growing up and she's now an adult 
you know, as far as these things go, she's an actual woman, not just, and this is how the world is seeing her, and that's going to affect, you know, our relationship and how other people treat us and, you know, his friends. I thought it was an interesting note. So as long as they don't go to a creepy place with it. And and I also yeah. really thought Mackenzie Vega's, you know, when she, at the end when she sees that, and she's like, she's like kind of part, like, horrified and part complimented and like I, I thought that her her performance in that moment her reaction shot was actually really appropriately subtle and nuanced yeah. and so they could be going some fun places yeah i'm just hoping they're not going that place i don't, I don't think they are but it was still weird it's still um, cbs yeah i think they did a good job with all the, the the split stuff and i mean i i'm i have faith in them that it's not going to be a cop-out that it's actually going to happen and they seem the the kings have indicated that yeah it's going to happen and it's going to be brutal. They've, 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 they even, spe- I, I won't say which one, but they even pointed to a specific episode number. And like, that's going to be Civil War, just so you know. <laughs> and I'm really looking forward to that because it's going to get heated. Uh, and I'm hoping that when they do, they don't even bother with cases. They just focus on that and don't distract from it. Uh, so I think they're they're honoring the characters in the world in a way that makes sense. And I like that we see, I, I think they've done a fantastic job showing the good and the bad of Will and Diane, like, you know, their, their passion is great, but you know, their mechanisms, maybe not so much. And they, they've, it's unusually nuanced for a show like this, but that's typical of Good Wife. Also fantastic to get the classical scoring back. Cause it's so unlike everything else on TV. Always love that when, when, when we get that uh, classical music in the background, more although, shows should use it. Although it, it bothers me that whenever they get to an emotional moment or like a slightly schmaltzy scene, they, then go to standard TV format. Yeah, playing a, a you know a, a something with a ukulele on it behind it. I'm like, <laughs> uh, just stick to what you know, guys. We'll we'll have plenty more dramatic moments to analyze the music for as the season goes on. Did you watch the season five trailer that they showed at the end of the episode? No, I didn't. I specifically avoided it. Fireworks. There's some. Drama ahead. That's all oh, man, I will I say. To, I have to find that. Uh, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> great to have good. Oh, also, I'm, 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 I'm hoping they just go ahead and make Jess Weixler a regular because I'm really enjoying her on this. I'm assuming they will. Uh, do you want to float your Baranski theory there? Oh yeah. Also, she looks like she's totally Christine Baranski's daughter. Like especially in their scene together, I found that quite striking. Inter- we'll see if that's something they're intentionally leading to, or if it's just like a fun alt narrative. <laughs> I'm sure they're not. I just enjoy ridiculous theories so let's go from one of the best shows on network television at least dramas to basically the other best drama on on network television that's parenthood i loved this premiere it has to be now absolutely loved it i don't know if i absolutely loved it uh but it was certainly very good i think that the uh, i'm not sure how i feel about having ray romano back immediately uh and actually having just been around the whole time uh or almost the whole time still running his shop. I I think it, they maybe would have benefited from a little bit of a lag there, especially with so much else going on. But um, I think my favorite moments in the episode were uh, Max's and Crosby's. I think that what, the, what they're doing with Crosby is quite ballsy, actually. Um, I mean, I'm assuming there's going to be an episode about three or four weeks down the line where it clicks and he's like, I love my baby. But for now, for him to have that, like, I, I don't know. And then especially for... Um, uh, Peter Krause's reaction of no, that 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 didn't happen to me at all. <laughs> and just sort of like that slight like, and and that's a great performance. That great like slight moment from Krause where it's just like sort of a 
you're a terrible person. I'm immediately judging you and I and you're wrong and unsay yeah. it. And then then immediately he goes to like supportive brother mode, you know, like right after that. But his first thing is like, uh, that is blasphemy, sir. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was very but, honest. Yes, it, it, that that was a great, great scene. Um, I don't know how I feel about um, the whole Mae Whitman, Matt Loria wedding. I mean, the proposal was sweet, and I was glad they weren't, like, it was a good fake out, although a little bit forced with they were going to do PTSD again, but no, uh, mm. although maybe still. Probably anyway, still. Probably if still. This is a very honest show. It's one of the, it really, at least to me, it feels very honest about relationships, and I trust them to do returning veteran correctly. Yeah. Um, I mean... We'll we'll see. I'm sort of wary of TV weddings right now, but we'll we'll see where that's going. I mean, there was there definitely wasn't any deal breaking moments in this episode, and Max had so many good lines, uh, especially the bit about well, I have to be okay after my parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> that was yeah. great. Uh, so yeah, and the, the I did I did see the season trailer for this, which is interesting. I don't really know where they're headed with Erica Christensen and Sam Yeager. Um, God, I hope it's not to freaking love triangle land with Sonia Walger. That's it's that's who that character is. And every drama ever. Look, it's a I didn't tell you my new boss is is a woman. I only used masculine names to refer to them. And look, they're famous uh you know, television famous actress that you recognize and who is very attractive. I wonder where we're going. And we just did that exact same thing on The Good Wife, by the way. Yes. With Mitch. Yes. Um and what was her name? Like Sam or something? Yeah, I don't even. So, anyway, so yeah, yeah, it was we, it was awkward to see them both employ that device. So yeah, we'll see. Um, I'm also very curious to see what they're gonna do with um, God, can't remember her name or Christina? the actress's name. Yeah, Monica with, Potter. Yeah, I I'm very curious to see what they're gonna do with Monica Potter. If they're, I don't think if they do have a relapse, I don't think it's gonna happen for a long time. But I kind of feel like it's TV and it's gonna happen. <laughs> so we'll see but yeah definitely lovely to have it back uh oh and there was one horrible music cue and i'm sure you noticed it i'm sure you noticed it come on when right when matt laurier gets home and they have the proposal and and the song's like now you're back home or whatever it was it's like oh really you didn't notice that no really? i was too busy being in my happy place because may whitman's uh, amazing uh, oh, i'm God. sure i'm sure if the scoring had been different something more fitting or, or less on the nose i would have liked it better i would it might have noticed in a positive way but i didn't notice it in a negative way because as i will uh say here i love that moment from may whitman and uh, we, we we're big fans of may whitman on this podcast but when i was writing about this and my review is up at sound on site it was a few days late because of this cold that i'm sure you guys can all hear in my voice uh but parenthood one of the things that it does and that I'm I'm struggling to think of another hour long drama that does this. Sometimes in The Good Wife, but usually not not in the same way. It values happiness. It values the the positive aspects of these characters' lives in a way that I struggle to think of another drama right now that does. Parks and Rec is optimistic, but if but you it's think, a comedy. But it's a comedy. If you think of, you know, the, just these other shows that we talked The Bridge. Nope. Strike Back. There's some fun. There's some positive. You know, there's some fun in there. But mostly but, it's people smiling because stuff blowed up. But Homeland. No. But but 
and Breaking Bad, but any of these other shows that are all, and all the, the very best. We have so many wonderful shows on television right now, but even Justified, they don't care about happy moments. And if when they have them, usually, usually they're sort of ironic or they like brush right past them or they're like, oh, look how quaint they're, they think they're happy kind of a thing. And Parenthood uncynically appreciates and values happiness as well as pain. It doesn't just do quiet, devastating moments. It's very good at those. But it also does quiet, happy moments. And I, we need more happiness. On t happiness matters, too. It's not just the bad stuff in life. The good stuff in life matters, too. Very well said. I think the only other show I can think of that values, I think, every little moment, good and bad, is probably Rectify. Uh, yeah. But, but but that show has so much pain that it almost doesn't matter. <laughs> so, yes, I think that, that's that's very well put. And I think that's one of the reasons it's so great to have it back, even if I'm not crazy about some of the aesthetic choices. <laughs> All of the scoring. And I'm a little bit wary of some of what's probably coming. But, yes, I feel like Christensen and Jaeger have sort of always been the least interesting couple, so I'm not surprised. Yeah, I, I do have to mention again, because I we, we did not give enough props last season when we were talking about Parenthood to Max Burkholt. He is so delightful, and for those who don't know, the actor who plays Max does not have autism or Asperger's or anything. He's just a really damn good actor, <laughs> kid actor on t television, and while I absolutely agree the Ray Romano being back sort of negates a lot of his progress last season, and and it's, uh, I'm not sure about that choice, he's just so damn good. And to see and pairing him with Max this season instead of Sarah, at least for now, I just am so happy. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But I absolutely agree with what you said. And I one of my goals this season is to uh, for when we're talking about Parenthood is to give appropriate cred to Max Burkhold because he's fantastic. He's great. Yeah, definitely the best kid character on TV right now for sure, yeah. and one of the best characters. Period. Yeah. Let's move on to our final show in this week in drama, and that is the Broadchurch season one finale. And, uh, okay, we, it's, we're all done. We've seen it all. What's with all the hype? Um, I mean, here's the thing. People really, really like crying. I guess. They really like crying, and it was difficult not to be affected, I think, yeah. by this finale. It was a very affecting finale. But I think many of the people who were so hyped on the show probably weren't familiar with some of the other great short run series we've gotten this year, like Top of the Lake, like Rectify, uh, or even The Fall, which I think was a way ballsier show than this is. Don't get me wrong. Tennant and Coleman are amazing in this. They're fantastic performances. But it was obvious who did it as of last week, at least to me. And it's just so manipulative and over the top and... It this finale, while the the resolution worked for me, just like clockwise, clockwork wise, it was just it was overwrought and it it did not work for me the way it seems to work for like Seppenwall, Mo Ryan, like everybody else seems to have loved this in a way that it really did not connect for me. Yeah, I think people are connecting because I think the I mean the production values are fantastic. It looks great. It sounds great. The performances are all good for the most part. But I think. Um, I think it would suffer on a rewatch. Like, I think if you were to sit down, I think no matter how much you love it, if you were to sit down and watch it again from the beginning, you would be very annoyed at just how many red herrings there are, just how many, how many people in this extremely small town have bizarrely dark secrets. Yeah. Like, but so, so, okay. The, the guy who's, uh, who commits suicide, right? He, he had a, a son who died 
that that he lost that we had never known that nobody knew about and then creepy dog walking lady had lost her son and nobody knew about like how many people in this in this town have lost a son hold on hold on the uh the character who committed suicide not only had a son who died but also had an had like an illegal underage relationship which then became a marriage which also no one knew about yeah i mean so, so but i mean just how like the specifics of oh i've lost a son too you know i've i know the pain of having my young child torn away from me that how many people in this town i mean come on at a certain point yeah you, you see the strings yeah you definitely see the strings and i think it could have been pretty easily fixed frankly with a slightly shorter episode order Mm-hmm. Uh, like it definitely needed to be at least two episodes shorter because at that point you're 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 padding it out and you and how can you pad it out? The only way you can really do it is either by, you know, you can take the rectify approach of micro micro focus and just like you know total emotional submersion, which I think would have been the right way to go. Or you can add lots of red herrings like the psychic, who by the way, whose psychic visions are never explained. Yeah, um, you just have to accept that he's a psychic. Which what? Or he isn't and just got lucky. Um, the pendant thing was a bit much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was really disappointing to me. Um, the uh, you have to accept that uh, there's all these people who are pedophiles or attempted pedophiles or have dead kids or or uh, or the fact that um, that. Uh, what's his name mark hit his son also mm-hmm. uh so there's all this abuse floating around uh it's just it's it's too much and i i will say that i, I did like the reveal with tenant about his past and his uh his you know the, the, him covering up for his wife's misadventure etc except uh, that now he's blameless so it's like he didn't mess anything up. It was his wife. And he's the noble hero who covered for her because he cares for her. So, so at first, I actually really appreciated that stuff. And I was like, wait a second. That just makes him 100% self-sacrificing noble. And that's less interesting. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I see where you're coming from. It's a little bit more one-dimensional. But I think his, I, I think his performance and this idea of him covering up his illness... And yeah. Like, that. like, yes, it's technically noble, but it's also somewhat dumb. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, nobility has limits. And I think it's interesting to have a character who whose nobility is kind of a crutch at a certain point. So, I and like I think, the, the illness, though. That really worked yeah, for me. And Tennant plays the hell out of it. And yeah. his scenes with Coleman are fantastic. Um, I Do we know if they're plotting a second series of this? Yes. They're doing a second season, and I uh, also how? okay. Also, before we get to the second season thing, how does this end with like Ghost Danny and the town, and not with our two? This whole thing has been about yes, the town of Broadchurch. No, the reason we're watching this is for Olivia Coleman and David Tennant. Their relationship, their performances are what have driven this entire thing. And then instead of ending with them, we end with this like over like over the top wake or something do we like i i had to look up what his name was the dead kid that is his name was danny because a a few weeks on i couldn't remember yeah i mean i think that was a misstep but just the idea of them making a second series that's still set in broadchurch because the show is called broadchurch (laughs) um that's very confusing i have no idea what they're gonna do with that like i i can imagine a second series of the fall but I can't imagine a second series of this unless it's just Coleman and Tennant picking up somewhere else. 
Yeah. Because, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, and I'm being negative here, but I do think there's a lot to like about this. Um, I'm just reacting to all of this over-the-top praise for, like, it's one of the best shows of the year. This is not even close to my top 10. Maybe my top 20? Yeah, Maybe? I can see that. But again, that's based on performance, and that's based on direction yeah. and scoring and things like that. That's not based on sort of the journey and where it took us. I, I've, I've definitely seen worse long-form mysteries, for sure, and mm. more insulting ones. But this wasn't one of the best either. Yeah, and it, it, it does, like I said, it, the answer makes sense. It fits. It's, you know, it's not like they lied to you or anything. For me, it was blatantly obvious. I, apparently, you didn't have that experience. But I was watching the the second to last episode, like, banging my head on uh, <laughs> on my hands, going, obviously, it's the dad because of X, Y, and Z. Uh, apparently, that, that reveal worked for you. I think the reveal was fine. I think it's everything that led up to it that was an issue, okay. um, just in terms of all the red herrings. But as we know, I'm terrible at predicting things. <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure uh, familial terror on the bridge is like the only thing I've gotten right in the last three years of podcasting. See, this just shows that I've seen way too much television <laughs> that I'm picking up on some of these like clues. I feel like that's something where as you for people who watch the second time through, they're going to pick up on some of that stuff. And just because I am. Um, overly analytical and i enjoy like i, I as, as a part of my it's just like second nature i instinctively start like piecing together stuff with my subconscious while i'm watching some of these shows so that's i think it's probably more of a me issue than the show issue but probably anyways what wins your week in drama it's really tight i mean strike back was so much fun it's great to have parenthood back it's great to have the good wife back uh, oh, don't make me I will. Oh, it's like picking children. Uh, I'll give it to Parenthood. That's why not. Okay, and I would say Parenthood, but you said Parenthood. So we're gonna sp split the spread the love around, and because uh, oh, really, it is so close between those three. Uh, I'll give it to the Good Wife premiere because I I have a feeling we might get even better from Strike Back. So I'll hold that off. I would love, by the way, to throw this out there. I would love to do a season spotlight on strike back at the end of the year oh well if we can find someone else who's watched it yeah so if 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 any of our podcasting friends out there uh have in blogging you know if any of our critic friends who may be listening or have friends who are listening who can cue them in if you if you're watching uh strike back and you would like to come on to talk with us about it i'm really enjoying it so we'll see so now we'll take a quick break and come back with our spotlight on masters of sex
That was one of the songs featured in the pilot to Masters of Sex. And we we already have talked about how this is our favorite new, the best new fall show. Uh, but we're going to spotlight it because we really like it. <laughs> and uh, it's been interesting to me because other critics have been more more cautionary in their praise of Masters of Sex, saying, yes, it's solid, but it's not great yet, and it takes a while to get into it. I'm already really invested. I really like this show. We've both seen the first two. Uh, but but for this first, this, this just for this pilot, just after watching this pilot, I was very much on board with the show. I'm curious about your thoughts. And also, I don't necessarily get where everybody's coming from with their hesitancy about this about this show. I think the hesitancy just comes from the fact that it's so different. Like, I don't think that I, I can't really think of many comparison points for Masters of Sex. I mean, when I did my review of the pilot on the, on the show, I, I brought up Mad Men as, an, as a fairly obvious or superficial way to compare it because, you know, Mad Men started in like I think early 1960 and this starts in 1956, although it could very easily stretch out over, let's just say a very long time. A long time. Decades decades a very long time longer than Mad Men uh I'm very curious to see how they do that actually it's one of the things I'm most curious about is how the pacing of the show is going to work uh it seems from the first two episodes that it's going to be quite methodical but who knows what they can do anything with it but other than that I think Masters of Sex is trying something new which is not something you see a lot on TV in general it's trying some some very tricky stuff on and I think if it does it right and if enough people watch it, I think it could really change the conversation about sex on TV and uh, the way couples and married people are written on TV. And I'm hoping that my hopes for it, you know, pan out in the way that my the optimistic part of my brain thinks it will. Wait, there is one of the. Do you have it's, an optimistic part of your brain? It's really small. It's back here uh, <laughs> next to the spine. But yeah, it's it's there. Um, but I, I, just before we get into the grand theorizing, uh, I think the the appeal of the show is fairly obvious. I mean, Michael Sheen and Lizzie Kaplan. Uh, I, I'm I'm not generally wild on Michael Sheen. I think he's a fine actor, but there hasn't been any movie or show before that I've watched and been like, wow, that guy's amazing. Uh, but I think he's very, very, very good here um, in a in what's actually a really, really difficult role um, because William Masters, as we see, he's not. He's he doesn't fit the mold of a typical TV antihero, but given how saintly his work is for the most part, I mean he's you know saving lives and uh, and doing it in, a, in an ethical way. Not to mention how interesting and important his real research, which they're going to be focusing on for the show, is important. Um, despite all that, he's a very difficult man to actually like uh, because he does uh, he is somewhat he's quietly domineering. He keeps. Uh, he has this, you know, sheen of respectability, but really his motives can be quite shady. And so it's it'll be interesting to chart his development or lack thereof over the course of the show, especially compared to Lizzie Kaplan's character. And of course, Lizzie Kaplan is freaking fantastic in this. I love her so much. Yeah. And I think that single element, the, the Michael Sheen character, Masters, is the biggest difference between my appreciation of this pilot and perhaps other critics. Because I know a lot of people are struggling with that performance and with that character, but I think he's fascinating. I really like that performance, and I, I like the character. I don't like the character. He's a jerk, and he's difficult, 
but it's an interesting performance that I almost immediately engage with. Also, it kind of, for me, it ties back to sort of our conversation that we had in episode 100 for informed opinions with our chemist, Buddy Mendeleev, about scientific methodology and the type of people who go into research and who go into the sciences. It feels very, especially when you put it in the time period of the 50s and you add in the gender politics that go along with that time period and what was going on, you know, in middle America. You know, obviously this is set in St. Louis, so the center of the country, it's, you know, it's you're not going to be out in the, the either of the coasts, um, maybe the more liberal parts of the country. But when you add that in with what we know about this man, it feels very authentic and honest, and I don't have any trouble. I, he doesn't feel like a robot to me, and I've, I've heard that complaint about the character. Where are you with that, with that character? I, I think I think Sheen's doing, already doing a great job. I think he nails it right off the bat. Yeah, but aside from the performance, the character. Oh, the I mean, I don't, no, I don't have any trouble believing it. I think that... It's it's a fascinating study of you know this he he advocates you know he's he's so remarkably liberal in terms of his uh, his stated views for the most part with some ex- with some important exceptions which we'll get to at some point um, but in his personal life and in his demeanor and in his uh, honesty or lack thereof with people he's extremely restricted and that makes sense for his for his position and I I, I think that's I think you're right in terms of his performance and and the, and that character design and that in, that attention to detail with character. And I think it's important to know that the the series is based on uh, Thomas Meyer's book about Masters and Johnson, and he is also a consultant on the show. So clearly, they've done a lot, a lot of thinking about just what kind of a man Masters is. And I think every decision they make here is is very deliberate. There's no uh, there's no second guessing going on. I think that people who think he doesn't seem like a real person just haven't met anyone like masters before i assure you they exist uh and i think uh i i i have no issues with that in terms of plausibility whatsoever very brilliant people are often or people who are very intelligent or really excel in one area of their life often are underdeveloped in other areas either socially intellectually creatively whatever and so the fact that this is someone who's very driven, who only would have gotten to this place uh, in his life and in his career for, by being incredibly driven and is very intelligent and very precise is also has doesn't have any patience for anyone and is kind of a jackass. That that feels true and that feels honest. And um, that maybe represents some people that I've met <laughs> in the sciences. But uh but but no, and so I guess I, I'm seeing a person underneath that. And apparently there's more to come with that. We'll get more layers. But I, I really appreciate Sheen's performance, but also the character. And, uh, and of course, Lizzie Kaplan, like you said, is fantastic. And I look forward. It's something that and maybe we should move on to some of the other elements of the show because I really love how sex positive this show is. And and because we, we talked about the, the premiere uh, after we had both seen it and you expressed, uh, you were surprised at the lengths they went to with the assistant character when, when he hits Lizzie Kaplan in this, in the premiere. And for me, that was so important because it sets up 
just how important this research is and changing views on sexuality in this country because a woman like Johnson in this pilot is in physical danger if she is honest to herself and to who she is as a person and who the sexual part of of her personality and her nature she's in physical danger all the time and it's so it's such an important part of our history and when you look at some of the gender politics going on in the country right now it's it's, it's not history at all it's still happening yeah um, i mean it's also history but and i think first of all i think it's important that in that scene where he hits her you know you have he you sympathize with him up to a degree until that happens you see his point or, or at the very least you understand how that i think the, the frustration is is somewhat legitimate Especially given the limited information out there about sexuality, about sex, about yes. women at that time. Yes. And then that pivot happens. And then, you know, obviously the, the stakes go up like this. What I find interesting is that he's a regular. They're keeping him around. Yeah. And I think that's that's actually a ballsier move than anything that happened in the, in the early episodes of Mad Men. You know, like Don may have been an alcoholic and a womanizer, but he's never been abusive in at least that directly. He's he's emotionally abusive, not physically. He, he's abusive. emotionally abusive, but he never. Yeah, if Don, imagine if Don. Admittedly, this guy is not our main character, but imagine if Don Draper had punched someone in the face, like a woman in the face in the pilot, and yeah. how different that show would have been. And they're keeping this guy around. If he'd hit Betty, our our female lead. Yeah, exactly. Um. So yeah, that or yeah, whoever. It's it's a very ballsy decision. It might even be foolish. We'll see. But yeah. um, keeping him around is, is definitely the more interesting choice. Um, what I, I was, I mean, it's it's a pilot, so there are issues, and we should get to that. Yeah. Uh, I Margot Martindale is here for a few minutes. It's great to have her around, but I'm hoping that her character gets more to do. Yeah. Um, we'll see how much screen time she actually gets, considering she's a very in demand lady. There's there's a lot of potential for intergenerational. Uh, women's roles and you know, reacting to everything that's going on. So, and obviously we know Margaret Martindale's up to the task. So I would love to get a closer look at, at the dynamics between uh, watching that character respond to Johnson could be a lot of fun. But yeah. again, like you said, she's very in demand. We don't know how much she's going to be in the series. Yeah. The biggest question mark I have going forward is just how in hell are they going to keep things interesting with Libby Masters played by Caitlin Fitzgerald? Yes. Um, because if you know anything about the the future of these characters, which I do, which I'm actually, I'm actually, I think everyone should look it up because I think knowing where things are going with, with these people makes the show more interesting. Yeah. I, I succumb to Wikipedia. <laughs> and, right. Is, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and in a way that I, I didn't even with Spartacus, but I, I did. And uh, you're right. It makes it more interesting. And, but, and yet knowing that I, I think they're going to have to really bend over backwards to make her character uh, consistently interesting. I think the the actress does a very, very great job, especially actually in the sex scene mm -hmm. uh, or one of the sex scenes in the pilot. That's, uh, you know, just really interesting and detailed work going on there in, in that the sex scene manages to be both tender and creepy at the same time. Oh God. Yeah. It, there's a lot of potential with that character. I, th I think I, I, I find the work stuff way more interesting than, than Sheen's home life, Master's home life. But I think anybody who's calling uh, her her husband daddy while she's having sex with him, uh, there's some interesting subtext there. Whether they're going to actually explore that and give her more of a sexual awakening and you know have her start to examine these things, 
I don't know. But if they want to... That would certainly be welcome, and I think that's one of the few ways that they can do interesting things with their character. I, I mean, it's something that Mad Men struggled with with Betty for a long time, and I think are only recently sort of starting to remedy, but not even fully. So, again, I hate to make the Mad Men comparison, but she's in a very similar position to Betty and, and near the beginning of that show. Um, I'm trying to think of what else to talk about. Um, I, th- I think I'm also a little bit let down by the Bo Bridges character, who seems to exist basically, basically just to, you know, kind of... <laughs> Say, no, no, we can't do that, but we're going to do that, but we can't do that. As an uh, obstacle, basically. Yeah, so ho- hopefully he's he becomes less of a functionary going forward. Should we talk about that last moment? Yes, we should. Uh, of course, the, the, the pilot ends with uh, Michael Sheen propositioning, but not propositioning, but totally propositioning uh, <laughs> Masters, uh, no, Johnson. Sorry, Johnson. And yeah, that was an important moment to get to, get to right right off the bat, because... It just, it really underlines just how messy and horribly awkward the whole thing is. And it's, I thought it was really well played by everyone concerned. The way they deal with that in the second episode is quite fun, I think. And I actually really, I'm stoked to get to talk about the second episode, but we'll get there later. Some some good stuff happens. Um, and as long as we're talking, I can't go without mentioning Annalie Ashford, who plays uh, Betty, the lesbian prostitute. Who is um, awesome. She's so good. I love that she has this like this. Uh, what what do the cones call it? Minnesota nice. Yeah. Accent. Uh, and just <laughs> good for you in that in, <laughs> in that early scene. She's absolutely the standout supporting character going forward, and she's she gets great stuff to do next week as well. And lots of comedy too. Just like her conversation with with Sheen at the at the bar or whatever when she's. <laughs> Why would a woman fake an orgasm? She's just like the, her reaction shot of that is just—it's comic it's priceless. gold. And it's I, and wonderful. I like, and I like that. You know, I, I was listening to an interview with Meyer, and he said that the notion that a woman would fake an orgasm was like a was a real revelation to mm-hmm. to Masters, and it became like one of the main driving forces of his initial research was he really wanted to know why, which that in itself is so loaded. Oh, yeah. And so it was very smart for them to have that be such an important focal point of this first episode. Well, and, and it's uh, very resonant for a modern audience, too. Yes, because we still ask ourselves that every day. Well, but also it's just like such a known thing, you know, af- post Harry and Sally, when Harry met Sally. Yeah, it's a known thing, but still, like, the mystery exists. <laughs> Still, you know, just because we've seen it happen doesn't mean maybe we always know. amongst a certain gender, the mystery exists. But well, not for, not for <laughs> no, but for for you know, for men, we don't you know, just because we know it happens doesn't mean we know when it happens. Doesn't mean yeah, we know exactly, why. exactly. And, and there's know, whole power dynamics there that make it really interesting too. Yes, and uh, and I have to say, you know, this was uh, the showrunner is Michelle Ashford, who's got a really great CV. You know, she worked on Band of Brothers and. Uh, uh, John Adams and some other stuff. This is her first time as showrunner. She it kind of reminds me actually of uh, Vince Gilligan and Matthew Weiner's CVs when they started their first shows, which we all know where that went. And I think she's uh, she did a fantastic job with this. And uh, by by the way, if, I don't know if you noticed, but if you scan through the Wikipedia entry for the season, almost an entirely female writing staff. Ooh, very interesting. And and a couple that yeah. are gender ambiguous that I'm not sure about, but still. Yeah, and I, I do want to mention, I, I love, when we get to the end of the episode, because I, I haven't given my thoughts on that yet, the propositioning. Uh, I love how he tries to couch that in science. Science. And like, <laughs> uh, sir, that is not how the scientific method works. You are clearly full of shit. 
And, and so like her reaction is great but just as a viewer i just like started laughing at that and obviously he's convincing himself that this that he it's totally legitimate and it has not yeah i just thought that was hilarious and wonderful and i was so glad they went there right away but we should also because we're already over time but we should quickly talk about the way that they film their sex scenes and the various you know parts of both the the experiments and all of that and the study as well as just outside of that are so wonderfully they're, they're just refreshing compare this to any other show doing nudity on on prestige cable or on uh, you know hbo and showtime i mean no other show has this much respect for its characters yeah i i agree i think mind you yeah i think it's very important that at some point we get some wang yeah, we 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 haven't gotten uh, below the belt really for anyone at this point, but uh, but yeah, I'm hoping it'll keep, remain rather equal as yes. things move on. Uh, but just it's not exploitative, it's not seedy. It could be so even just like when when Masters is observing the in the closet, when he's like yes. people. They managed to make that not overly creepy or, no, or voyeuristic. Hilarious. Yeah, and I just, I love that attention to making yeah. sure it is not exploitative. Yes, uh, it all it all makes sense for the characters in the situation, and I think we're going to start thinking of sex position in a different way if it keeps it up, which I assume it will. So, yes, I'm so stoked for this. I'm so stoked to be writing about it on a weekly basis. Uh, in particular, there's a scene in next week's episode that I am just going to wax lyrical about for a long time because i think it's the best scene in either episode and you know do, what i'm talking about i do know what you're talking about do you want to tease that it includes a book uh yeah well simon de Beauvoir's the second sex is involved uh mo most of you aren't gonna know what i'm well hopefully a good chunk of you know what i'm talking about but i actually read most of it for a course on the philosophy of feminism a very long time ago so i'm i'm stoked that my quasi knowledge of that is going to pay off finally other than, you know, just in general knowledge. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to say about Masters of Sex as it moves forward. And uh, hopefully we won't look like idiots if they, you know, botch the landing three episodes, four episodes down the line. But, but man, the fact that people are saying that it gets, like, exponentially better has me, like, <laughs> Mega stoked. Mega stoked. Mega stoked. Okay, well, that wraps up our week in TV and our our spotlight. And this is already a mega long show. And then uh, on your podcast feed or at Sound on Sight, you should see a similarly lengthy discussion of Breaking Bad with, of course, the two of us as well as our guest Ricky D from Sound on Sight. So just so much televerse this week that I'm, I'm sure listeners will just, they'll just stop listening because there's too much. There's, they can't handle the amount of televerse coming at you, at you guys this week. Before we wrap up here, though, a few show notes. Our outro music is Sweet Petite by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org for, for this episode. So please leave us your comments and thoughts about the, the, the TV apocalypse, if you survived, how you survived, and uh, all of this different, uh, all these different shows that are coming back and, and debuting. Of course, you can also find us in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed there. You can leave us a rating or review. We'd very much appreciate it if you, you know, if you like it. That'd be great. Uh, as well as you can email us at televerse at gmail.com or follow us on Facebook. If you like the Televerse uh, Facebook page, that will, uh, I post all the different goings on at Sound Insight TV there. So you can follow us on Facebook. Of course, we also love to hear from you. You can message or, or leave a post on, on the Facebook page as well. And then probably the most direct way of contacting us is uh, on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? 
at Sucker Howl. And Simon, what's our question of the week? Well, we are wrapping up series finale week over on the site, and we just got a Breaking Bad finale, and apparently 10 million of you watched it, so I'm willing <laughs> to assume that includes most of our listenership. So I'm curious as to whether how people would rank the Be Bad finale against other great and maybe not so great finales. Cool. Recent or all time? All time. All time. Okay, let's I mean, it's an all timer, so why not? Why not? Well, that wraps up our week in TV and our spotlight and our show notes and two thirds of the podcast, maybe half the podcast. But thank you as ever for listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with a regular full episode of the television. <laughs>